0: Hello rank squad and welcome to the ranks FC podcast we are coming at you after the conclusion of Euro 2020 where Roberto Mancini slick sexy swashbuckling Azuri side lifted the trophy by a fraction uh, from brave old little England uh, with Gareth Southgate's boys coming as close as they have to reach it lifting a trophy since 1966 but 55 years of hurt goes on for England uh, my name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. and the show is going to come to you in a little bit of a different format today we're going to split it into a couple of parts um and so first up I will say I'm joined by Mr. Sam Ty, the rank God Sam how are you holding up my friend I know it's been a tough couple of days well look I'm
1: better today today is Tuesday as we record and better today yesterday was was really bad was really bad. I mean, I like, didn't sleep very well Sunday night, obviously. It's tough to lose a European final on penalties. Very, very tough. Um, didn't sleep great, kept getting flashbacks, and was in an overall grumpy mood. Mm. Um, but I bought myself a nice meal last night and ate it. And I ate a tub of candy floss as well. Might made me feel a lot better. Um I'm 31 by the way. 31 <laughs>
0: And I'm tubs eating t- of candy floss.
1: literally tubs of candy floss to make myself feel better after a football match. Grow up, Sam. But look, it, it, it hits you hard. You know, for me personally, there aren't very many bad days in this kind of job and this this kind of work, you know, covering football, and talking about football for a living is an absolute privilege. I never lose sight of that. But occasionally you have a bad day at work. And in this job, it comes when you have to go and talk about your country's failure to win a trophy on penalties for a good three hours the day after it happened that is essentially torture however i've woken up today after a good sleep and i feel a bit happier so thank you for asking jack i'm about 25 percent of the way there
0: ah good and you get some rest now this is your last commitment for a little while and you get a couple of days off we're we're kind here ranks fc give you days off and all sorts
1: (laughs) i've got three days off
0: (laughs) dean and i don't get days off you just get a day off it's very exciting for you you can have three days off if you want in a bit (laughs) maybe perhaps at some point we'll have we'll all have three days off and the world will be rights again um we're going to start though by talking about I think the the five best players at this championship now this was very difficult and you know in the in the malaise shall we say that you were in yesterday um you've passed this to me uh, which is exciting because I don't really ever get to do rankings um, as the host which is nice so uh, I'm excited about this um I spent ages agonizing over this and and as I can now understand the pain you go through every time you have to do a ranking um because I still haven't really decided on the fifth one um, and that, that's kind of how I've got to this point um, now it was a tournament for left backs right um and and I think one of the funny things is we were looking at and we will talk about our teams of the tournament uh, at the very end of this show but for me it was the the position at left back was probably the hardest to slot in. Now Dean got around this and we as you'll see by by sticking Jerkin Mailer in at right back which is basically not okay. Um but you know mm-hmm. we have to deal with it. And and then there's this kind of toss up between Luke Shaw and Spinazzola. And I think that if Spinazzola had been fit for the entire tournament, he would be number 1 on this list. I think in the five games that he played the four games he played, really. Um, he was he was remarkable for Italy. And he was the fulcrum of that attacking pivot down the left-hand side. His link up with Lorenzo and Senior was absolutely wonderful. His two-footedness is so crucial to this Italian system. Um, and you know, I was incredibly impressed by Roberto Mancini's ability to, to make the team work without him because I did think that once Spinazzola was out of this side, that there was a real chance that Italy kind of fell apart in an attacking sense. And they didn't, um, w- which is important, but I'm actually going to leave Spinazzola out, um, which is nuts considering oh. considering that he was going to be player of the tournament with two games to go. Mm. Um, I'm going to leave him out in with uh, a heavy heart. I can tell with a very heavy heart. And in the, but in his place, uh, I'm going to put in the first of three Italians in this list, um, Federico Chiesa, oh who no. started this game or started this tournament on the bench um, and we were talking about it and talking about the fact that we didn't really know what was going on with Chiesa we were like is he is he fallen out with Mancini with all these rumors swirling that he'd had a falling out with the coach that he wasn't going to start. Domenico Berardi obviously starts the first game and the second game in front of Chiesa he obviously gets off the bench in both and then in the third game in the group game he, he comes on and he he absolutely kills it. him and Verratti come into this third game and it's like okay Italy are about um and and it was really really impressive in in so many ways obviously the the Wales game and and the way that obviously Italy only won one nil but it was an onslaught for 90 minutes and and I think that the Wales were lucky in so many ways to 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 look at this and be like okay we've we've got a we've got away with one just there um which is you know very very impressive but I think over the course of the knockout stages, he then goes on to assert himself as an absolutely crucial part of this Italy attack. And I think maybe the the nicest compliment I can give to him at this point is that you look at what happened in the final. And Dean said it the other day. He said, as soon as Chiesa went off, I felt so much better about everything. He was Italy's outlet. He was their go-to. He was their dynamite. Obviously, he scores the first goal in... The game against austria in extra time to to sit in and what a goal it is obviously controls it on his head right foot left foot Back of the net, one of the the best goals I've ever seen live. Um, privileged to to watch it alongside you, Sam. Um, but it was just in a remarkable. He's obviously then obviously in the Italy game in the Belgium game. He's he's involved as well. He's that kind of dynamite that brings to this this lineup. That kind of attacking threat. He allows them the out ball. Um, he he keeps Italy you know ticking along and, and and kind of is the relief to that the waves of Belgian pressure that that came in over the course of that game. And then obviously it gets to it gets to the semi-final against spain he scores the goal for italy there it's a beautiful strike curled finish into the corner um, and then is the kind of dynamite i think in the in the game against england as well so i think feddy chiesa's impact and the way that he started off as not a uh, not a kind of starter in this italy side in mancini side and by the end is probably the most important cog in their attacking output um i i think was was incredible and and feddy chiesa has had a tournament here where he has elevated himself back into the echelons of oh okay that's why that's why juventus went And spent that money on him that's why he was the most coveted jewel in the italian crown at this point last year and i think you know add to that the fact that he became the first well him and his father Enrico became the first father and son duo ever to score in a european championships which is a nice little familial touch for narrative fc to get involved with um and and yeah i think Mm. i'm chucking feddy chiesa in here at five
1: yeah so it's um it's probably fair enough. He's a one scary player, isn't he, Freddy Chiesa? Um, when you're up against him. Terrified. Absolutely terrified of him. I mean, we switched over to the the left hand side against England in the final. He actually caused Carl Walker probably his first problem of the entire tournament when facing up a player one v one. Obviously all of the sort of scary moments before that had been sort of recovering, chasing back, looking after you know uh, passing errors that people had made. You know, Raheem Sterling against Germany, for example. I don't think anyone really troubled Carl Walker. I think he was only dribble past once in the entire tournament, and it would not surprise me if it was actually just in that final when Chiesa switched over to the left because he's got that he's got that ability to uh, to keep touching the ball very uh, very lightly and keep keep tipping it along, tip it, tip it, tip it, and push it forward in a in a in a straight line in the kind of Ayen Robin style uh, way of running. And just looking for that angle, looking for that angle, looking for that like, gap of space to shoot into. And once he shoots, he then pulls out the Ronaldo low and hard. It's absolutely terrifying to watch. And like Dean, I was delighted to see him go off injured in the final. Hopefully nothing too serious. But I just, like, he was about to break us. And it was it was so scary. And I think with Chiesa, we knew this from his season at Juventus, but it's been really hammered home now. He is a big game player. Like, the bigger the occasion... The higher Chiesa rises. And that is such an important trait to have. And it pretty much marks him out for Ultimate Stardom, I think. So look, he's not in my top five. I don't know if that's a mistake or not. Like he's there's there's a cluster of players just gathering around that kind of fifth area, isn't there? That are all like definitely eligible. He's not in my top five. However, I think he's worthy of the discussion here for sure.
0: Okay. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to number four. And here is where I have put Leonardo Bonucci. Um so I think there's a case to, to put both the Italian center backs in here because they were both absolutely outstanding through the entire tournament, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. But I do think there's a point to be made that not only was Bonucci as defensively sound, um, maybe more so, especially in the final than, than Chiellini and and able to, I thought he was able to get at Harry Kane in ways that Chiellini really wasn't for the first half an hour. And when they swapped over, it was, it was, it was a, a big point in that game. I thought where England suddenly weren't able to play that out ball Kane suddenly wasn't able to find the space he'd been able to in the first half an hour dropping off all of the above um but Bonucci not only exceptional at the back not only had was 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 absolutely remarkable in his defensive duties and diligence and the way that basically nothing got past him but his passing range mm. is absolutely unreal and he gets no credit for this pretty much like almost none people you look at Chiellini and and, and Bonucci and they're often discussed in tandem as as is fair right but you kind of look at them and you go oh okay they're this old school Italian style they'll die so the ball doesn't go in their nets and halves and it's kind of forgotten sometimes that Bonucci can put Pico's head up and pick a pass 70 yards uh, over the top and, and just release players. And he did so. He got an assist in this tournament, which is just also a bit mad. Um, but it's, it's like one of those kind of strange moments where you look at that and you put it in, in conjunction and obviously scores the equalizing goal in the final, all of these things. And it's just, you know, everything about his tournament was remarkable. Remarkable. And he played some absolutely outstanding balls over the top you Know, even in the final, but throughout this tournament, um, and you combine that, I think, with what he offers from a defensive standpoint. Um, the fact that Italy was so good defensively, and, and I think that there's a, a conducive case for him to be in here. So, I mean, he gets credit for his passing range on this podcast, yes, show. of course. But um, when we aren't, we are not your normal podcast, I'll and this honest. is,
1: and this. It's also like, you know, there have been European championships before where Bonucci has played for Italy and people have gone, my God, this guy can not pass. And it does seem to be that when he plays for Italy, people start to realise or, I don't know, they wake up to it a little bit more. And Then they forget about it for four years because the Euros aren't on. But I've definitely, I definitely, in the annals of my memories, I can feel, I can remember like European championships in which Bonucci is spraying passes. And there was, it must have been, it must have been 2012 when he and Jerome Boateng put on an absolute part, long passing clinic, absolute clinic, both of them, the whole tournament were unbelievable at it. But yes, he was back to his best here in 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 many different ways. The Italy setup really suited him, sort of switching into a back three, put him in the middle, let him spray passes, protect him a little bit on the outside. It was good management, and he was very very good. Um, there are actually more like, wow, how did he get there? How did he make that tackle style defensive moments? For Chiellini, I think, I think yeah, there are a, com- a couple more where I'm like, how did you recover to that point? How did you get that block in? How did you get your nose in front of that? It was there's that one thing. There's
0: one in the Spain game in particular. Where yeah, you're you're like, there's absolutely no way on earth that you should be getting there at 37 years old, but yet here we are.
1: Yeah, and he, he, there's more of those for Chiellini, I think. However, Bonucci has the minutes. Advantage, which has to be taken into account, I think between the two, Bonucci ended up playing what six hundred and seventy-eight. Bonucci four four six. He got an injury, missed a couple of games, so it's a big slice. There's two hundred minutes of football in a tournament of seven games, and the passing range, of course, is so impactful. So, I I do have Bonucci in my top five, and I also sat there and tried to figure out which one of them to take. Tried to figure out how to take both, couldn't, so I had to pick Bonucci. So I'm I'm largely with you there
0: okay all right i'll move things onwards then um at number three i have pedri now i would you know i think worship the ground that pedri walks on for forever but there is plenty of of kind of arguments here and i was looking at i was looking at a tweet this morning um and it was actually a tweet about leo messi and it was comparative stats about the euro 2020 and copper america and it was like most goals cristiano ronaldo most assists Steven zuba most free kicks uh, Dam scored, most key passes, Verratti, most chances created, De Bruyne, most dribbles, Sterling, most accurate through balls, Pedri, most shot-creating actions, Pedri, most goal-creating actions, Pedri. And I was, you know, the, the the point of the tweet was that in all of these, in all of these uh, metrics, Leo Messi was the standout player at Copa America. Most goals, most assists, most free kicks, most key passes, most chances created, most successful dribbles, most goal-creating actions, most shot-creating actions, most accurate through balls, all Leo Messi. But You come back to that and you think, hang on, most accurate through balls, Pedri, 18. Most (laughs) shot-creating actions, Pedri, 18 years old. Most goal-creating actions, Pedri, 18 years old. And on top of that, most passes into the final third, 68 passes into the final third. Pedri is 18 years old. He is running things for Spain in a midfield who you know, we're, were kind of lauded, I think, as probably the best in the tournament. I mean, you look at Spain's squad, right? You you look at what, what Spain brought to this tournament in a midfield capacity. And it reads as thus, Sergio Busquets, Marcus Llorente, Coke, Tiago Alcantara, Rodri, Fabian Ruiz, Pedri. This is a midfield where he's gone, oh, okay, these are six of the best centre midfielders in the world, and I'm just going to be the guy. And that's... Not including the fact that he could have called up, you know, Sergio Canales, he could have called up Carlos Soler, he could have called up Sal Niguez. There, there's so many different people here that were able to sit in this field and who have had brilliant seasons. Like, you know, even the likes of a, a Mikel Marino, who's been phenomenal for Real Sociedad this season, right, Would would have been a fair shout, I think, into this squad. And yet he's taken Pedri and he's not only taken Pedri for minutes for an 18 year old at a tournament. He's taken Pedri, he's made him the fulcrum of this Spain side. He has been the player who, when everybody around him was being subbed off, was re- remained on the pitch because Luis Enrique knew that everything good about Spain was coming through Pedri. And I just can't get my head around almost the fact that he is this good, this important for Barcelona across the course of the season. The, the fact that he was able to walk into that Barcelona team and Messi went, right, yes, you, <laughs> yes. Good player, good um, player. I'm going to give you the ball because you know what to do with it and you'll give it back to me. Um, and also, and then he's gone, okay, cool. They're just it for Barcelona both ends of the pitch as well you know it absolutely goes both ways Petri can create in the final third is also there on the goal line blocking chances on a, on a regular basis you know stepped up into this Spain side and gone yeah i just I'll just run it like no problem at all and those metrics back it up it's just absolutely incredible and look <laughs> there's a line from Game of Thrones which always makes me laugh and there's a is when Lord Manderley, um is talking after the Battle of the Bastards, um, and he says to Jon Snow, "I didn't think we'd find another king in my lifetime." And I imagine this is what Spain are looking at and being like, "Well, I don't think we'd find another Chavi in our lifetime." Um, but here we are, like th- this is it. Like he's just come through and been. He's oh, I was influenced by those lads. Yeah, I worked really hard at it, and now I just am those players for the next 15 years you're very very welcome and <laughs> it's just absolutely outrageous it, and I'm I'm so pleased for him I'm so pleased about the fact that this Spain squad are going to have a player which they can base around for the next 10 years um, and and on all of it but Pedri just absolutely wonderful and you know Pedri Hive stand up because we're going to be doing this for a long long time.
1: Through, when you were listing off those stats, I was looking for more to see if you'd missed any. Obviously, there's, he, he tops it an incredible amount. But like Pedri, I think I found one is that he's got the most carries that enter the final third of the pitch. So literally picking the ball up and carrying it into the final third 29 times in his five games. Uh, six games
0: he's the hybrid Xavi and, and uh, Iniesta what and the, is going on how the, did they mash them together and have a love child
1: and the closest the closest to him actually is Marco Verratti at 19 so he's 10 clear of Verratti
0: Verratti uh, did play less games to be fair to him
1: only one fewer game I think um but yeah I mean a few minutes for sure but uh he's, he's top of so many metrics and um, yeah what a remarkable tournament I mean we've we've given him his dues you've given him his dues though no, I can't add much to that other than to say um no pressure kid <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Uh, you're only the hybrid love child of Andres Iniesta and Xavi, running uh, Spain's midfield at a tournament at uh, as, uh, in his teenage years. So uh, hopefully it carries on.
0: Well, it's almost like he doesn't feel pressure, and that's the whole thing, right? Like that's it. Like he, he doesn't feel it. It doesn't seem to bother him. He's unfazed by everything. Now maybe that is being young and just being like ah. Oh, this is fun. I'm really enjoying myself. And maybe later on his career, that starts to weigh on him. But right now, watching him is an absolute joy. Um, and there was absolutely no way that I was leaving off this list. I was actually reticent to keep him as low as three. But I do think that you have to give the players who, who've got to the final of this tournament and been key moments for, for the people who got to the final two, they're due. Um, and so on that note, I've gone to number two. And I've gone at number two, the official player of the tournament Gianluigi Donnarumma. Um, Now, this was slightly surprising, I think. Uh, I think he was surprised by being given this award, Um, but then think about it and Gigi Donnarumma basically won penalty shootouts for Italy in both the semi-final and the final. He saved three penalties against England saved one against Spain. He conceded four goals across the entire tournament it does make sense when you put the metrics in like that, when you put the the numbers in, when you put the context into it, if you are the single-handed reason that your your side basically got through a semi and a final, then I think that there is probably a fair argument that you should be the player of the tournament now i know that a lot of people disagree with this i know that dean jones doesn't consider goalkeepers as footballers um, and so there's absolutely no way that dean would have put donnarumma as, as player of the tournament but i do think that given the context of both the semi and the final there's a strong argument for him to be in here especially when I think the conversation about who would be in the player of the tournament was quite open. It wasn't like there was a a, a real gigantic standout candidate. It wasn't like, you know, that that anyone else in this Italy squad was absolutely unbelievable through the entire through the entire tournament. Uh, Jorginho is out of my five. He had a brilliant tournament. Um but I don't think you could look at that and be like, Jorginho was the clear player of the tournament for me, um, and and so therefore I'm I'm pretty on board with how they've done this at the at the end of the day. I think
1: I must admit I don't really like it. Um, and obviously for like the first sort of six hours, I was like, maybe I just hate Donnarumma because of what he's just done to my country. But no, think you're reflecting on it objectively. I just I just feel like this is a bit of a stretch for uh, for a goalkeeper for, for the yes like i'm not going to take it away from him like he he produced some heroics in in two straight shootouts and that's that's tough going and look italy have gone and, and won the euros off the back of two penalty shootouts and it's the first time in history that any team have won two penalty shootouts in the euros like this hasn't happened before you can't get to the final like that you can't you're not supposed to, to win like that There's the, well, the no, no team
0: has ever won two in a, in a, in a single tournament before never mind back to back
1: yeah, the margins are supposed to be too fine for that. But of course, when you've got a big six foot six bear on the goal line, maybe things are a bit easier, and he deserves his credit there. I guess I'm a bit wary of the recency bias of that. Um, I I, I, but you have to accept, in that context, that the the lat the deeper you go into the tournament, the more important the games are. Like you have to weight them heavier. Um, I don't think Donnarumma was outstanding in open play in any of the games that he played. He didn't make any mistakes. He often wasn't called into action. Like, now that we know with hindsight, Italy's group was shocking. Like, it was really... They had Turkey and they had Wales, who were two of the worst teams in this tournament. And, yeah, Donnarumma's not going to have to do so much. So that kind of counts against him in a kind of harsh way. Um, So I think maybe the sample... Size overall, like the body of work is still just a little bit on the small side, as it would be for any goalkeeper, really, unless Switzerland managed to get there, like you know, chunk their way to the final when Jan Sommer was unbelievable in every single game. That's when you start, that's when my brain starts to go, oh, maybe that goalkeeper should be considered here. I think it might just be a little bit too much. We're talking about a, a team in Italy here who dominated dominated the ball and dominated territory and possession. Uh, for for long spells in every single game they played except for against Spain and they didn't give up a series of high quality chances in in 19 120 minutes so that is where I sort of draw the line a little bit with the goalkeeper I think
0: yeah that's fair enough I I think for me the like you say the the late the deeper you go to a tournament right the more more important it becomes and 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 the fact that it is is two shootouts to to win it I think are pretty crucial yes i agree there's an element of recency bias in there um you take away i mean yes you can you can you can look at the group all you want and be like they were poor but at the same time you know we're talking about england's defensive record and the group the england were in was also poor um and they played the ukraine side who were also incredibly poor um mm-hmm. so, so so actually you look at that and be like okay if we're talking about defensive records you have to kind of just take what you're given in so many ways um you know three clean sheets in the group is, is three clean sheets in the group no matter who you're playing um, and and I, I think across the course of it, added to that two penalty shootout victories that were pretty, you know, pretty crucial. He was pretty crucial in both. Obviously, the stop to for Morata's penalty is a weak penalty, but it's, it's still a it's still a flash point, right? Um, and and then three saves in the final. Um, I think you're looking at someone who's who, who's got the job done for Italy well, here. Two two because Rashford hit the post. Okay, two saves in the final. Yeah. Two saves in the final. Oh,
1: Rashford hit the post.
0: Rashford did hit the post. Um that, that is true. But you know, three saves across two penalty shootouts, I think, is is pretty pretty yep, impressive. It's not so, a bad um, body of work, that so I've got I've got GD G, G, Tom Maroon in here at, at two, um, which leaves number one. Um, and I'd imagine that we're probably going to be in agreement here that, that my player of the tournament uh, was Raheem Sterling. 22 successful dribbles across the tours of the tournament. Um the next best metric here. Danny Olmo and Kylian Mbappe with 12. 10 more dribbles Mm. than Olmo and Mbappe. Now Mbappe obviously goes out in the round of 16, which shortens his body of work in in some ways. Olmo gets to the semi-final, although he didn't play as many minutes as Sterling did. But still, you know, to take 10 more dribbles on and take 10 more successful dribbles on than either of these players is is pretty incredible. And I think sometimes we forget how good Raheem Sterling is um, because he's such a key system player. For city because he does what pep asks of him and he's so you know willing to work for his side and do the kind of dirty work and do the hard yards and basically when he does score for city it's usually very much been put on a plate for him because that's the role he occupies that's not a, that's not a dig before someone calls me out that is <laughs> it's, it's a very very good tactical play for, for pep guardiola and city right the fact that you're putting chances on someone that are two yards out and a tap in is good it's not a negative um mm. and but you look at that and sometimes you forget how good a player Raheem Sterling is in terms of taking players on, in terms of shifting the ball out of his feet, in terms of opening things up. I think the pass for Harry Kane's goal uh, against Ukraine, the, the kind of reverse slide that he he drops in behind the defense after two minutes or whatever it is, is just absolutely outrageous. Just a quick Sometimes you just go, oh yeah, Raheem is capable of so much. And and he showed it again at this tournament. Now, he scored the winners against croatia czech republic germany and forced the equalizer against denmark um carries england through this group reames Sterling. If, if we're being perfectly honest you know he scores the two goals that take england from three points to seven points um without him and with harry kane failing to hit any sort of form until those knockout stages started i think without him england looked a little bit blunt Uh, in some ways. Now, part of that is tactical, obviously, and part of that is Southgate trying to make games tight and uh, and tense in some ways and and looking at it in a a different capacity. But with all that said, Sterling, I think, is the difference between England going out in the round of 16 and getting to the final in this tournament. And that is a a big old weight to carry, uh, especially when you're being asked to do a different role for your country than you do for your club. Um, So look, Raheem Sterling's homecoming is one, probably the second best narrative arc of this tournament and um, the fact that it was you know yards from where he grew up the fact that he could see Wembley from you know from the place that he grew up and went to school and, and all of the above and then was scoring the winners at Wembley to send England into raptures um absolutely outrageous and, and what what story uh couldn't happen to a nicer bloke uh, we love Raheem um, obviously but on the whole I just think not only is is it narrative based not only is it just you know a, a wonderful story but also his ability to step up and, and and be counted for England when it mattered was more evident I think in this tournament than it has ever been um and uh all glory to Raheem Sterling what a player what a man
1: yeah God save Raheem God save Raheem now that's, a, sl- now that's a slogan I can get on board with yeah well I've ordered a t-shirt with that on it <laughs> i could probably do that you you probably need to get that too um it's i i count myself as one of those that forgot I'm, i'm guilty of forgetting just how good he can be um now obviously city actually do a really good job of hiding um how explosive and electric he can be when he carries the ball and you're right it's a system thing he's often basically at city he's like an off the ball movement player um you know Trying to take, trying to latch on to sort of the service from Kevin De Bruyne from those like that narrow crossing angles, and he's often peeling off the back of people. He's doing his best work off the ball. Whereas with England, we're just trying to give him the ball, give him the ball, and let him run past players. And yeah, I just I I'd, I'd forgotten how how electric he can be with the ball at his feet, and and how dynamic he can be, and how agile he is. Like he's so agile, the way he can sort of shift left and right and squeeze through gaps. There's not many players like that in the world who are as Quite, quite shifty as Raheem Sterling, and it's been a tournament in which he's he's enchanted a whole nation, and he's also reminded us just how good at football he is. And we needed that reminder. I'm full of love for Raheem for what he's he's managed to do over the course the, of the tournament, and he he would be my player of the tournament too. He's my number one. So we are we are in agreement on that one, my friend.
0: Well, let's roll backwards through your top five then.
1: Okay, yeah. So yeah, Raheem is at number one,
0: and then at number two. I've actually, I've actually got Jorginho. I, I thought you might. I, yeah. I, I, do think that this is a valid shout. Um, yeah. he was in all three of our teams of the tournament. He is a player who has has been absolutely remarkable. Now, the Ballon d'Or chat is probably a stra- a step too far. I would suggest. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I'd be just interested in your, in your take on this. Obviously, we haven't discussed him as part of that five.
1: Well, I mean, I, I have a really strong preference in these kind of scenarios where you're talking about the best players and you're talking about teams of the tournament I I do have a really strong preference for those that play all of the games Um, because we are talking about such a small sample size of, of seven possible games if you play all seven and you've won the tournament and you've you've started all of them you know he's ended up playing more minutes than any outfielder for Italy than anybody else and second only to Gigi Donnarumma and that that is the definition of a key cock and it's an intense month of football it's difficult to grind through a tournament like that is really tough and I'm always full of respect for players that could put together that body of work in that short space of time and look added to that he had he is so crucial to a system which has produced the best football that we've seen at the Euros like he is he's the, he's the traffic controller isn't he and he sits at the base of the midfield and he he figures it all out on the fly and yes Verratti comes in and steals the headlights and Verratti is amazing of course he is of course he is but Jorginho was the standard setter back there in game 1 and I feel like I have to I have to respect that
0: yeah no I think that's probably fair enough I don't think anybody is going to hold that against you he was he was very very important he
1: was and rounding off the top 3 is another Italian that's where I've put Bonucci uh, a goal in the final definitely tips him up a few places. And uh, he was he was absolutely brilliant. I have to admit that. Into number four, that's where I ended up with Pedri. So he's one spot lower than you've got him, but we're on about the same page. And at five, I have also sadly left out Spinazzola, um and resisted the temptation to put in another England player like Maguire, who was amazing, or Shaw, who was amazing. I've actually gone for Pierre-Emil Hoybier, who I was a fan of all tournament long. And what he managed to do, given the circumstances, I think deserves a tremendous amount of credit. The dust has kind of settled a little bit on Denmark's tragic opening to the tournament, because obviously so many games are played, 51 games of football, things move so fast. These can become empty words a little some of the time, and things can move on a little bit. Stories can move on, narratives can move on. But Pierre-Emil Hoybier stepped up when Denmark suffered an absolute tragedy on the pitch, and... It's a tragedy that that probably should have sent this squad home. It it, it probably should have. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them if they'd have just packed it in and and were were unable to play. But there was a couple of members of that Denmark squad in particular that stepped up and put a nation on their backs. And it's something that I could never possibly do. I would not be strong enough to do what Hoybier and Simon Kjær did. And it's Hoybier in particular. I think that, that 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 deserves a tremendous amount of credit for 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 being the engine room of a a ferocious Danish side that came within five minutes of a penalty shootout to reach the final against all the odds. And uh, again, it's a phrase I've used a lot, but feel like I need to respect that
0: yeah no I, I think that's probably fair enough um no I I wanted it's part of me really wanted to put Jerkin Mailer in mm. here because I think he's had a phenomenal tournament it's been a wonderful tournament for left backs hasn't it and yeah. you know, we talk about this you know in in general you know you look at you look at Baylor you look at Spinazzola and you look at Shaw and you have three players in there who all have very very valid arguments to be involved in a team of the tournament um And who all could be probably in this list, frankly, as three of the top five players in this tournament. They've been all three of them absolutely remarkable, but they all play the same position. We make it very difficult to select as uh, as as part of a team in the tournament. So,
1: of course, they got knocked out. But David Alaba was sensational,
0: and he was mostly left back. Robin Gersons was it was excellent in the group stages. Steven Zuber, even most assists in this competition. And and I think Jordi Alba had an excellent tournament. So we're talking about a tournament that really did favour left backs, yeah. um, and 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 it's quite weird. It's quite a weird one. I want to put Mailer in here, but he didn't even make my team of the tournament because yeah. I had Spinitzola in there at left back, and I know that Dean had Luke Shaw in there at left back. I went for Spinitzola as, as, well. as well. So it is one of those that you, you look at and think, oh, that's a bit. It's a bit of an odd one to to be considering a player for a team for the top five players of the tournament who didn't even make your team of the tournament. But here we are um here we are right after the break me and Dean are going to be talking about our experiences at Wembley and ranking some of the best moments that happened across the course of this tournament don't go anywhere welcome back to the ranks FC podcast where I have traded one member of this squad for another Sam has left the building and in comes our transfer guru and a survivor of Wembley way on Sunday Mr Dean Jones Dean uh, how are you coping the voice holding up a little bit better this time around
2: think so yeah um was pretty hoarse yesterday when we were recording patreon and some live school stuff um it's still not great it's 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 fine it's better than the first time I went to a game wasn't it um just that voice training isn't it you lose it when you've been to a game for 15 months
0: yeah you uh, um, lose a little bit of that kind of match fitness match sharpness yeah. and also like it, I only I
2: only lose my voice like I think the time before that like, I lost my voice would have been back probably when Fulham beat Villa like it's only Play-off um, final, yeah yeah it's only games like that where I just can't handle the occasion and just drink way too much chant way too much think that I'm 18 again um just get way too carried away but whatever whatever. something
0: about something about Wembley eh something about Wembley Um, (laughs) it it has that effect on you and and it's quite nice to to bring it in like this because this is what this segment's gonna be about obviously Sam and I have just walked through our players of the tournament and and who we thought sat in those in those rankings but this one's gonna be a little bit more Uh, Well, it's a bit more kind of based in what we've been at, what we've experienced, uh, the highs and lows of of what this tournament has been like on the ground, because you know, if you told either of us, or so I think if you had told you that you could get to three England games, including a semi-final and a hmm. final at Wembley at the start of this tournament, you would have never believed me. Um But I would have no. said the same for, for me to go to any game at this tournament. I've been hmm. lucky enough to watch Italy in the round of 16 against Austria, and then watch them win a penalty shootout in the semi-final. my favorite game of the tournament uh, against Spain. So I, I don't know I feel incredibly blessed as well, but I thought we'd just run through a little bit of the highs and the lows of, of, of what that's been about, because I think there has been, especially in these England games, you know, highs and lows of, of, of being back at football yes and the experience so we saw some you know unsavory scenes as well at, at Wembley on Sunday and it would be it would be you know unfair of us to gloss over those completely um yeah. so so I think we'll start with with just what these experiences have been like
2: yeah I was going to actually just rank my worst three things about what's happened from going to these games so I'll just get through this a bit quickly so um the th- Third worst thing that happened was Denmark scored a goal because <laughs> suddenly we realised we weren't invincible in that moment and it came as a real shock to actually see it hit the net and not be ruled out. I was just waiting for it. I was like, well, he must, he must have to retake the free kick. And they can't they can't count. You can't yeah, score from that far away. That's not how it stands. works. Yeah. No, hang on a second. Um, what a goal so to was... see as well. It even complete contradiction to that point. Like what a strike to see live. <laughs> I know and you just don't appreciate it at all though when it's not your team, do you? Just no, like not at all. Cursing under your breath um not even under your breath <laughs> so that was the, the third worst moment for me the second worst moment for me was losing the final on penalties that was gut-wrenching i couldn't watch it i couldn't literally could not stand upright. so now when people are criticising Marcus Rashford, Saka, Sancho for not being able to carry out. Like Rashford said in his tweet, basically, like he does this every day. It's such a simple, straightforward skill for him to carry out. He does it umpteen times every single day of his life. He said before how easy he really finds taking penalties. And you get in that moment and the nervousness that was inside that stadium going into that penalty shoot out was unlike anything i've ever experienced as i say i could barely stand up to watch it i couldn't have done the walk from the from the halfway line to the edge of the box to be honest i would have i would have just crumpled to the ground and just cried because i would not have handled that pressure and and honest, obviously you see it on tv and you appreciate the moment i've never ever Known something like that inside a stadium, and I've been to penalty shootouts before, but it was literally like fifty-five years of pressure had come down on those lads, and I felt I did feel for them. Obviously, like I was disappointed they didn't score, and you know, to miss three penalties is unbelievable, to be honest.
0: Yeah, if you'd been offered Jordan Pickford saving two of the five yeah. before you started, you would have bitten your hand off for it.
2: Course cool, you would. Course cool, you would. And it just got, you know, in my stomach. Like, I've got to be honest, it's quite funny. I saw Donnarumma's quotes today where he said, I didn't celebrate because I didn't know we'd won. I didn't realise they'd won either. I I knew that that if
0: Jorginho scored, they won. So therefore it made sense, right?
2: No, in my mind, I got so lost that I had completely didn't realise as he missed that kick. It was only because I saw all the Italian players running on the pitch. It took me literally, you know a second or two, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is in that
0: moment. In the moment it is, yeah, loads.
2: Yeah, to I was like, oh, that was it. That was it. We're done. And then I literally ran out the door like I didn't stay around for one more second, um, which brings me on to the thing that I've hated most about this and this Wembley. I've hated it. It's awful. It's an awful place. It is. So many things about Wembley are dreadful.
0: Well, it's not necessarily dreadful as not cut out for this kind of game in this kind of place at this kind of, you know, extreme, right? Mate, it's like they'd forgotten how to hold
2: an event. It was pathetic. The final, I'm sure everybody's seen pictures and read about it by now. If you haven't, then listen, England play their first final in 55 years at home at eight o'clock on a Sunday night dreadful decision from number one like that's not Wembley's fought that part that's UEFA that should have been moved because that oh, cool. that cool. cannot be happening well, right that's
0: that's for worldwide audience right that's the only it doesn't reason doesn't need to be that. a
2: worldwide audience though it's a European competition Gee, the Copper America won't worry about whether we're watching they don't hmm. they, they they do it to suit them and that's what it should be like we do that for the World Cup it's a European Championship and it was always gonna lead to trouble having an eight o'clock kickoff but beyond that Wembley is a nightmare to get home from, Like, So anything that was an eight o'clock kickoff was a nightmare for everyone, especially if it went to extra time because there's no trains home, you can't get out of the tube, it's just awful. Um, but the policing at Wembley was just non-existent almost and I we made a good decision actually to not drink near Wembley on the gate day of the final. I'm glad we did, but obviously we'd started to hear little bits about, you know, people rushing the gates and people running through. I had a mate texted me telling me that he knew a couple of people that had stormed in and he was really, really annoyed with them for doing it. Um, and he got, he was like, I'm getting out of here. I'm fuming, I can't believe they've actually done it. And um, I wasn't there at the time, so I didn't really take it in. And I started going there Wembley way and I've seen it described like a war zone. And honestly, that's not far off what it was. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was like, it was like, we obviously have all been caged up for 15 months, but it was like everybody had been let out for the day and just gone mad and lost their heads, but then storming through the gates. And actually what happened to me was my mate, um, I went in, I was, I was going into the ground. I've put my, you had to put your phone in and it had to be beeped. That's where your ticket was. And I stuck it in the turnstile it beeps and my mate had been next to me and his phone wasn't beeping and he panicked and he jumped in with me and he came in behind me, which is what people had been doing for four hours, unbeknown really to us, how people have been getting in. So as i gone through the gate, a security guard grabbed me, was like, get over here, we saw that, like you two are going out. And I was like, what? Whoa, no, 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 no and um, they pulled me aside with my mate and it's like no 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 it's my fault mate it's my fault i panicked like my ticket wasn't working i panicked like we've got tickets they weren't listening to us and it was so frustrating and obviously these guys had had a horrendous few hours yeah, yeah. to me i knew that but i also was like i'm in a selfish zone here like i'm getting into this game i've paid a lot of money for this ticket to be here i've been very sensible in comparison to everybody else Anyway, they grilled us. For like, they were like, they they beeped my ticket again. They were like, look, it says already in. I was like, it says already in because I've just scanned it. Like I had to scan it still to get in. It's my mate that hasn't scanned his ticket. Like, look at his. And my mate's like, he's actually laughing because he's like, knows what's happened. He's like, you've got to let us in. Anyway, this went on and on. And in the end, we had to switch our phones off, switch them back on, open up the app and go through all this palaver. And, and we were okay, but... um it was just a nightmare. <laughs> it honestly was. Wembley was a nightmare. And I just think that the whole, any event that they hold in future just needs to be completely reconsidered how they deal with it. They say Wembley can't afford, don't want to pay for policing. They then don't hold events because you can't be dealing with this kind of thing. And England want to host the 2030 tournament.
0: Yeah, good luck with that. I think They've got no they-
2: chance, mate. They've got absolutely no chance. It's, and to be honest, interesting- don't deserve it.
0: No, I, I look, there's, there's interesting elements of this. There are parts of this, as you say, where the, the burden needs to be shared in terms of blame, right? I agree with you to a point about the kickoff time, although I went to two eight o'clock kickoffs and neither of them had any yeah, problems it whatsoever. It's like, yeah. because of England. Yeah, well, yes, and this is what it comes down to, right? At the end of the day, it, it comes down to a little bit at the same time of self-policing. and what you know you and I have been to big games and so I want to address this first before I get onto that is that you and I have both been to big games in our life right normally there's about four rings of security you have to get through you show one ticket even look to go to a game at the San Siro right just a league game at the Mm. San Siro you have to go through about four different security checks to get even near the stadium there is one gate at Mm. Wembley you know, but who which was manned or, or left to be manned by stewards who are hopelessly out of their depth, not by any of their own fault. You know, these are people. They're literally who are, just you know, trying to make
2: some money on the side, probably.
0: Just been left to cope with it. They're they're facing a ab- horrid abuse, frankly, and um, but also mm. just like the weight of sheer numbers, not being able to cope with it. But there is also this element, and so, so Wembley have to be given, you know, and also the fact that it's in a built-up area with. You know, loads of things around it. There's a shopping center on one side. There's student residences all the way down Wembley Way. It's all a bit chaotic at the best of times, right? It's also one gigantic funnel. Uh, And that means that it's, you know, not a great place to get in or out of, even at just normal events, you know, not without it being the final of a European championship with England fans in it. It, Even just the normal things, it is, someone said there was nearly 250,000 people They were thought around Wembley. For this game which had sixty thousand tickets going for it and and that's pretty mad but exactly. there's also this element of nowhere else does this happen like apart from when you go with england away like this is what happened in seville it's what happened in amsterdam it's what happened at dortmund you know it's it's, it's happened time and time again and for the first time ever it almost feels like london got england away turned on it and and i think that there's an element of that and you know I, there's been plenty of articles and 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 there's a brilliant one by miguel delaney there's a brilliant one on the athletic um and and you need to go and read them if if you can but there is this element that you know when when England go away in Europe, when England go away far-flung places, and look, I've got friends who travel with the England Supporters Travel Club and and all sorts, right? Who who go to the backs of beyond? They've been, you know, out of their way to go to the depths of Europe and beyond, following England around. And when you get to these really far-flung places, you tend to find the hardcore, the real, real <laughs> follow England all the way, not England till July, England till they die, mm-hmm. you know. Who who genuinely do go, and I would, you know, have it a guess that they are not the troublemakers here, right? And they there's this element where people were interviewed part of the STC who said, this is it. This is not what we've come from. This is we've traveled all over the world with England to try and make days like this happy. And it turns out to be this absolute farce. And it, you know, there is an element that, you know, the, queuing outside the pubs at 8 a.m. for an 8 p.m. kickoff. Yes, there's an element of loose and let go and everyone's trying to have a great time. But is that having a great time? Like, you know what? Like, I consider myself a a good drinker, like a a, a very solid drinker. And there is absolutely no way that I could be in the pub at 8 a.m. for an 8 p.m. kickoff and make it in any sort of state of sensibility where I could watch the game. And so there is this element of, like, what are we doing? Like, what's going on? Why did the pubs even open? Like yeah, the, the, yeah. The, I mean, that's and a that's British thing as well. Right. This
2: the thing, yeah. It's a culture thing, isn't it? Like, you know, the, it, it, it is is. the 70s and 80s, like, people, like, that's now glorified. And, you know, you've seen the films about it. You've heard the stories about it. And, you know, I was going down there, like, the people the people that are causing trouble, a lot of them weren't going to the game. They were lads aged between 16 and 24, I'd guess. Like, they were young. And they were excited, they were buzzing, they haven't had nightclubs to go to, they haven't had bars to go to like for a long time. And, you know, I'm not gonna make yeah, excuses yeah. for them because their, their behavior was, you know, for some, some of them was absolutely ridiculous. But th- these people always exist, like you always get the next batch of, of people of that age group. And in Britain, it never goes away. You've got to just police it better and be prepared for it. And that's the one thing that was missing here. There seemed, it seemed to come as a surprise that these, Young British people would, English people, sorry, and I'm going to tie the rest of Britain with us for this one. Um, Yeah, they've got their own problems. Yeah. (laughs) Would behave like this. Um, And I'd even forgotten to some extent, because it didn't happen for the the Germany game in the semi-final. Um, So it did catch me a little bit out. But I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, everyone's idiots, aren't they? Um, You know, luckily, like, my mates, you know, we have a good time and we get involved in the chanting and the drinking and everything. But... You know where to draw the line, but you know a lot of people don't, and a lot of people are from different backgrounds and different. I don't know. They live totally different lives, you know. And yeah, I I mean I I agree with you. I'm not. It all
0: I'm comes not, together down that one row into 100%. the stadium, and it's carnage. It's yeah. absolute carnage you take that and then you take it onto inside the stadium and the videos of italian fans been beaten up for supporting italy and uh, you know look there's there's always going to be elements of of this that they exist at football because of, of the way that the sport works but to see it in such unfettered kind of just like oh this is it now this is this we've, we've reached judgment day like mm. it, it like it felt kind of like post-apocalyptic at points and that's that's dangerous i think it gets mm. look, there's lots of circumstances and i am i don't want to talk about it and be like, just be like oh everyone's to blame because they're clearly not but there is also this element that continues to you know rear its head and at some point where does where does the line get drawn if you don't so yeah there we are
2: yeah, it's a weird one as well. I mean, you know, it's the first time I've ever used the ticketing process like that, whereby your ticket is just sent to an app on your phone and you show someone yeah, and your COVID test on your phone, which the first part of it is so easy to get through. Like you could easily have a screenshot of that and show someone and walk through. It was way too simple. And then the second part too. So that that needs to change as well. That needs to improve. I like having ticket in on phones. I think that is a good idea. But obviously it's it's new tech that needs to improve and, and you know, work better. But I don't want to talk any anymore of the bad stuff. Yeah, like let's, we've, let's, we've move the <laughs> let's move on to the positives.
0: Let's move on to the positives. We'll get back to happy days.
2: My third favorite thing was the equalizer against Denmark when we were back to being invincible. Um <laughs> and that's how it works. <laughs> if we hadn't got that goal before half time against Denmark, then I, I really still wonder whether we'd have even got back in it because the nerves, would have been kicking in and the fans some fans would have started to turn on southgate and his tactics and all the rest of it it's just inevitable um and so it was just such a relief it was an amazing moment like just i thought sterling had scored it at first but obviously it was own goal but um yeah that was pretty much the most relieved i've been at a football game maybe ever um just to be back in it and i thought once we were level again i thought we'll go on and win this now like i was very confident yeah. so That was a good moment. A second favourite moment was Luke Shaw uh, scoring in the final after three minutes. Because, you know, for all that rubbish that went on around Wembley, like, I was pretty sheltered from it mainly. And I hadn't really, apart from that incident that I'm talking about when I'm going into the ground, I quickly forgot about that and carried on. And generally, like, it was a pretty much of a normal experience. If you behaved normally, you could have just ignored the other stuff if you were just focusing on your mates so like getting in there had a couple of drinks in the concourse chanting get into the stadium get into the seat sing the national anthem you're excited for the start of the game and you score after three minutes it went mental mate like me and i don't know actually how many of us there were in this pile but there was at least five of us on the floor on top of each other in a random row um of seats and just screaming, just screaming as like, what? We're one 0 up. Like we'd said just before the game we started, please just give us a moment. Please just give us a moment. Even if we don't win this game, give us a moment. And that was it. And we loved it. And the fact that we led into half time meant that the whole of the first half was enjoyable. Half time in the concourse was like a celebration. People are patting Italians on the head, saying, "Oh, unlucky mate!" Like all oh, that kind. Of, it was so patronising. That was, that part wasn't that nice. But um, it was it was just a great feeling. Um, but it wasn't my favourite feeling. My favourite feeling. Was the Germany game? I
0: was going to say. And the second Everett. goal against Germany, I would imagine. I would just bet money on.
2: It was like that was the pinnacle. Was Kane's goal against Germany? But the whole thing of the Germany thing, the fact I only found out two days before that I was going, there was no, you know, normally if you were going to a game like that, you'd have had months of build up to it, knowing you had a ticket in the bag. But because of the way this tournament was, two days before we got a ticket suddenly we're going suddenly we're in the pub two days later it's a five o'clock kickoff so like midday you're in there and suddenly you're playing in Germany and you're going and it was the best pre-match atmosphere in the pub because of the occasion then you get in there and it's the anticipation it's the rivalry it's everything like can we actually do this and knowing that you probably can, because England are actually really good, and Germany, we're not sure that they really are for once. And then, yeah, um, Sterling scores, we get excited, and in that moment, book semi-final tickets. <laughs> and then three minutes after having our tickets secured for the semi-final on someone's phone, Harry Kane scores, and we just go mental. And I'm, I'm sure people saw. I landed three seats down, I cut up all my legs, it was amazing, best moment I've ever had watching football, um, I'll never forget it, it'll always be my number one I think, I, I, I really do think that moment will be forever my favourite moment of watching football, it was, it's just unrivaled.
0: Just a special, a special thing. I think, uh, like you say, circumstance, right? The the fact it was kind of out of the blue, the fact it was England, Germany, the fact that, you know, Muller had missed that chance seconds before, mm. just as you'd bought tickets as well. You know, you just, more, you must have just pressed buy and Thomas Muller is then running through one-on-one. Which on one was, like, yeah. Oh, it, it right, okay. Off. This is happening now. Like I've now going to watch, I'm going to watch our Germany, Denmark in the the semifinal. How much
2: can we sell these tickets for?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to be in that semi-final if it's not us? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I I can completely see that. And and look, I think it's it's amazing. And you get you get that about about tournament football, right? There's something about knockout football that's that's incredibly special. And 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 that's why that's why people love these tournaments, is why the they're they're always held in the highest regard, the highest esteem. And Look, I just hope that we're reminded that international football is great. Um international football is is the best thing in the world. Um apart from maybe the Europa League. Um but it 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 does really occupy a special place in in a lot of psyches and I think in, in when you're mid-season and everything's going for a break and you know you feel like the Premier League is put on pause or Serie A is put on pause or La Liga is put on pause and you go to an international break. You know, and everyone's like, oh, I hate this. I can't. And I think you remember sometimes that this is what it's all for. You know, you don't get, international tournaments without international breaks and the qualifying periods and all of the above right there it all matters because it gets you to these kind of things and I hope just this reminds people of that because you know like you say that might be your greatest football moment of all time you don't get that if there's no international breaks and England don't qualify right so yeah
2: totally. so there
0: we have it there no, we have
2: it no. yeah. it's funny I've got the bug a bit now as well like it's it's but you start thinking even after losing yeah like, oh, what, what could we possibly do next because that, that was a lot of fun. Like we've had the time of our
0: lives there. I've got tickets booked to Portugal in uh September to go and watch Ireland play in Lisbon. Now I have no oh, idea no. if fans are going to be allowed to go To be honest, yeah, I don't know that even
2: be possible. I
0: don't even know if the, the game is going ahead in Lisbon. They might move it because Portugal do tend to move around a little bit and play all yeah. over the country. But you know, there's an Airbnb booked and flights there. So we shall very much see if that one goes ahead or not. But um but I hope it does because international football is great. Um and look the experiences i think we've both had over the course of this tournament i justify that and but if you'd, you'd asked me would i be like jumping on sam after after feddy chiesa scores a goal for italy in injury time against austria i would have probably said before the tournament no but you know you invest yourself in different things throughout these tournaments and got to see a very special player score a couple of very special goals and i'm yeah. uh, i'm grateful for that as well no so. exactly
2: mate you did well as well to get to those and you know one of your favorite teams so yeah, we were blessed by the fact that this this um, tournament was postponed a year, really, because a year, we wouldn't have got tickets a year ago if this had gone ahead. There's no chance no we'd chance. have done all this.
0: Not a hope um, so, in God's sweet heaven. So it um, worked out for us at least. Exactly. Right, after the break, I'm going to be bringing Dean and Sam back together to talk about players of the tournament, teams of the tournament, games of the tournament. We're going to have a look through it all. do go anywhere. <laughs> welcome back to the third and final part of this ranks fc episode um and it's time to do a little quick fire on to close this off uh, of our kind of overall thoughts on this tournament sam i'm I'm going to start with you i basically want your player of the tournament i know we've basically slightly already done that your game of the tournament your favorite moment and then we'll talk through your team of the tournament very quickly um so over to you well,
1: yeah, uh Raheem is my player of the tournament. We've we've been through that one, my friend. Um I, look, I can spend another twenty minutes talking oh, we're, about. We're all good. If you, want. you can keep moving on. Okay. <laughs> okay, fine. Listen, the game of the tournament for me, in terms of pure enjoyment factor, like I've never been happier during an England game than when we were beating Ukraine 4-0. However, in the kind of more objective terms, I think the best game of the tournament was Switzerland three, France three. I mean, watching a a giant toppling, you know, the the, the ultimate favorite for the tournament go out is always incredible to watch. Um, And just the way that game played out as well with France going 3-1 up and Pogba scoring that absolute thunderbolt. And then Switzerland mounting a ridiculous comeback and forcing it into extra time, you know, it had everything. Granite Xhaka was playing the game of his life. Pogba was outstanding. Mbappe missed the final penalty, you know, from From a neutral point of view, this was just a stunning 120 minutes plus of football.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's incredible to think about how that panned out. And especially with a 3-1 up, like I think this is it. Like there's a moment here where pulper scores the third goal and you're like, this could end 5-1. And and, and it really did feel like France had hit their groove, finally, finally hit their groove. And it was going to be like, okay, this is now a procession to the final. And instead this, stirring remarkable comeback comes through from a switzerland perspective and you're thinking okay all right hang on we've suddenly got a game here and look it just was outrageous i think all of us sat there being like what's just happened like what's just happened it's all a bit mad um so so yeah on on the whole it was just uh, stunning stunning in so many different ways i think that's probably um fair enough what was your favorite moment then
1: my favourite moment of the whole tournament is when Hungary's Attila Fiola steams through, scores against France, runs into the corner and destroys a poor woman's desk. She's sat at pitch side. She has no idea what's about to happen. Do you remember? Pit? I think she's a pitch side reporter. She's obviously just trying to report on the game, just doing her job. And Fiola is so pumped up by what he's just done, scored a goal in front of a 100% capacity home crowd, the only one in the tournament that are going absolutely mad. It runs over and just cracks her desk in half like it's ridiculous ridiculous and i will always remember that moment i thought that was ridiculous and so funny and and just amazing
0: yeah i mean just that goal in general in front of obviously a packed home yeah. stadium the the fervor in the ground as you know that that went in was well, oh, something to behold in so many ways so yeah I, there's, I think there's, a, there's a, a wonderful shout. like raw human element to that like he's done
1: something that's so amazing no his one expected yeah. his immediate reaction is i've got to start
0: destroying stuff
1: i have to break stuff
0: well he sounds a little bit like the england fans at wembley on sunday <laughs> so um so maybe they have that in common um yeah. right then let's do quickly walk through your team in the tournament um who have you picked so i've picked five italians <laughs> well yeah that's pretty reasonable
1: It hurts so much. It really does. Donna is in goal. I've put Chiellini and Bonucci in, in a back three. Further to our previous discussion, it was very difficult at points to split them. So I just thought, you know what, I'll just pop them both in. And Spinosola takes the role at left wing back. And just to add to that, we, we had that conversation about the game's becoming more important as they go along. And obviously he's missed... He's missed the semi-final and the final, which which should count to get count against him. And and you know, for some people, it should put someone like Luke Shaw who scored in the final, um, and someone like Jochen Mailer who made it all the way through to the semi-finals. You know, into that conversation a little bit more. But with Spinetzola, he was the system for four games. And I think what we can't forget while talking about the importance of those latter stage games is the importance of momentum in a tournament. And Spinazzola gave Italy the momentum they needed to basically close this out at the end. They had enough in the tank and enough belief and enough momentum to get to a point where they could win two penalty shootouts to close out this tournament. And I give him the credit for that. And I've decided to put him into the team. And on the right side, I've gone for the Stones-Walker combination. Now, so Stones, you're playing Carl Walker at right wing back, a
0: position he'd never played. In the, the one position
1: tournament. he never played. Yeah. Um, although that's... <laughs> I think that's okay i think you're just about i think it's okay right back and right wing back can be somewhat interchangeable i mean walker was phenomenal uh just almost impossible to beat and stones you know actually wasn't probably wasn't as good as maguire but i am consistent and stones played every game and he played every game in a team that got to the final and conceded two goals along the way like that's that's a serious impact into midfield, Jorginho, of course, Hojbjerg, of course, and Pedri. I mean, those three are all in my top five players of the tournament. So that's why midfield three sorted. And there's Raheem Sterling playing off Patrick Schick in a front two. Now, I wasn't 100% delighted with this, but the number nine conversation is a bit of an awkward one. I wasn't ready to put Kane in because I wasn't impressed throughout the group stages. I wasn't ready to put Ronaldo in uh i wasn't ready to put lukaku in and i ended up with schick because he shocked me the most and he scored five goals not bad one from the longest distance ever in a euros the last person i expected to be lighting the stage up this summer was patrick schick and he did so i've kind of rewarded him for that
0: um yeah no i think that's uh, i think that's fair enough I, I, like you say it wasn't a particularly abundance of great number nines um now I was saying similar to you know when i was picking mine and it was, it was all a bit all over the place and i put harry kane in at the number nine slot which is a bit weird because harry kane didn't have a brilliant brilliant tournament but he scored four goals at the knockout stages captained england to the final um and in the absence of any other real brilliant number nines now cristiano Ronaldo golden boot there's a lot of uh, i think there will be a lot of consternation about the fact that none of us put cristiano Ronaldo in in our teams and that's probably fair enough um but for me portugal won one game Um, which was against hungary they for three of ronaldo's five goals come from the spot now two of those are unbelievable pressure penalties against france and they shouldn't be taken away from but three out of five goals have come from the spot um all of them came in the group stages there is an element of this where i'm a bit like how much of it is worth anything and 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 so that's the difference you know patrick schick for example his goals propel Czech republic further than they would ever have expected to get to in this tournament harry kane's four goals in the knockout stages are pretty crucial to england's you know development and and their progression to the final where they come incredibly close to winning this tournament on penalties okay so dj over to you and um, we're going to flip this right back at you. sam and i have both gone for Raheem sterling as our player of the tournament uh, have you got a, a different option i mean obviously
2: i'd love to pick him um and I've, he was brilliant um But I've got to balance this out a little bit and go with Bonucci because Bonucci did win the tournament. He did play almost every single minute of this run. I think he didn't play half maybe against Wales. Um, And And scored in the final. (laughs) Scored in the final and slept with the trophy. Like (laughs) the guy's literally done it all from start to finish. And not only that, but at the start of the tournament, people were talking about him as Kialini as a weak link
0: like oh, yeah, you can just it. direct sam if you
2: want You, you <laughs> have to indirect him. oh they're past it are they are they really like you can't do that to players like that and um while obviously i'm i would rather he'd have had a nightmare in the final he didn't and um fair play to him it was just, he just had an unbelievable tournament and you know this Italy team are on a 34 match unbeaten run. It's because of characters like him in your team. You need yeah. them, and um, ultimately, he, he should be Player of the Tournament. He should be it. Like it shouldn't be Donnarumma. It shouldn't have been Sterling. It should be Benucci. I'm convinced of it. You
0: don't believe goalkeepers are footballers, as we said in the earlier segment. So that's and a, how could Donnarumma
2: win Player of the <laughs> Tournament? I didn't see him score any worldies. Did you? Didn't you see well. him make any last block tackles. I didn't see him. Uh, what did he do?
0: Save a uh, few pens? Save a few pens, yeah. <laughs> just, just a few in the semi and the final. Um, yeah, no, it's a, a funny one. Also, like, Benucci, master of Um, As soon as the penalty shootout was in, he found a camera, stared down it, and just screamed, it's coming to Rome! <laughs> and then, like, I was like, yeah. right, well, I know some people get wound up.
2: I say fair play, I do oh, the look, same thing. And the exactly. others, you know, was me. Like, that's this part of it, isn't it? Like, well, I didn't the take defeat that bad at all because... I mean, as much as I was de- devastated not to win, like I know that, you know, Italy, if I was gonna lose to a team in this tournament, it's them because they were the best team. I like Italy, like Italian people love football as much as I do. Like I can't Got I can't yet. I can't say he doesn't deserve that to do that. Like
0: it's also <laughs> was... a funny one because people were really upset about people getting angry they're like no it's coming home it's all ironic and uh, it's all very and then as yeah. soon as someone makes a joke on it you're like you can't do that it's not <laughs> yeah I'm that's like, pathetic <laughs>
2: that's pathetic yeah yeah yeah. exactly
0: and um, right game of the tournament please mate
2: game of the tournament i'm gonna go it's a round a 16 game croatia 3 spain 5 after extra time
0: <laughs> it's unreal wasn't it and your well, boy Murata did the business
2: well this is the thing i mean spain had just seen off slovakia 5-0 to get in there. And um they've been talked about as a team that couldn't score goals. And um yeah, they um they turned this around. They went behind, didn't they?
0: Yeah, to so that ridiculous own goal.
2: Yeah, they went they went behind. And then well, they they turned it on, um, scored some great goals. I mean Sarabia, Asbeliqueta and Ferran, um, all, all got on the score sheet. It was Pedri that got the own goal, wasn't it?
0: yeah it was well wow. yeah so, got, did they what? give it to pedri or uno simon in the end it i is. think well, they I gave it to well, pedri actually very unfair wouldn't have given it to pedri
2: um yeah but then you know croatia fight back um the subs make a difference and they they force the game in the fa- final minutes into extra time and you're like just as you've been convinced oh here we go this is the proper spain they're coming through then they're pegged back and you're like oh my god no what is happening what is happening and then it comes to um extra time and and or and Isabel make the difference and, they, and they're through and they they scored five again and you're like okay so this toothless team just got 10 in two games okay you're like fine no idea what do we just say they're going to win the tournament right here right now it was just a it was a mad mad game of football and one that if you're bored at any point in this little you know drop that we've got of games yeah little hiatus of games now just go back and watch that one because that that will feel a good hour you know couple of hours of your life and be a lot of fun.
0: Everyone be having a good time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, all right, finally, your favorite moment, I think maybe
2: my favorite moment. I tipped France to win the tournament and I said I just could not see a way they didn't do it. It would have to be that either someone has put on the performance of their lives to beat them, or as a disaster from France. It turned out it's a bit of both. Um You know, round of 16, France three, Switzerland three and um, Switzerland win on penalties. Fam's game of the tournament. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? I mean, Mbappe missing that penalty. It's weird to have it as a favourite moment because I had tipped them. But what what, the reason this is my favourite moment, it was because it was the moment that I did think, hang on all these teams are falling out here. And if France are gone, we're suddenly going up a peg. Like I'd hadn't given us a hope in hell of getting into the final. And suddenly these teams start to fall by the wayside. When France go out, you think, whoa, yeah, we'll play Switzerland, please in the final. Like that'll do. Um, and so it just gave me a bit of hope, really, and it's just just confirmed that this tournament was absolutely wide open. Especially, you know, Pogba scored an absolute worldie in the game, and you think it's that it was it was a great game.
0: You were like, "It's done."
2: Yeah, you were thought it's done, and you think fair enough. And and France, you know, when they go when they're winning three one, they're looking like a team that probably will win the tournament. You know, however long later, they're out. You know, that evening, they're out. It was just mad, and and for me, it was just. It was just a moment that shows why we all love this game and why we have to keep watching, why you just can't dismiss a game. say, like, oh, I'm not going to watch that one tonight. Now France will win that. Because you just never know what's around the corner. You just never know. And that's why it's my favourite thing.
0: I think that's completely fair enough. Completely fair enough. Uh, right, let's wrap up your little segment here with a quick walk through your team in the tournament, thing.
2: Okay, so I've gone on with a four-three-three. Three. Donna 3 I've had to give him the nodding goal. Um
0: He's a saved big a few man. Penalties,
2: didn't he? He saved a few pens. I was thinking earlier, like can you imagine those poor lads like looking at the goal? You're actually looking for the goal because you can't see it. He's so big. Um, He's a big <laughs> so bear. He is. And um, yeah, it's a good signing by PSG to, to, to grab that lad just on the back of this. Um, so yeah, Donnarumma in goal. I've gone for a back four, which is a little bit strange. Left back, I got Luke Shaw. Um, a little bit of bias there.
0: But Spinazzola
2: didn't play the semi or the final. Basically, and Luke Shaw that's...
0: did score in the final. To be yeah, clear.
2: exactly. And Luke Shaw deserves it. But if, if it's not Spinazzola, then I think it's Shaw. And if Spinazzola would probably have played one more game, I'd have probably given it to him. But the fact he did miss the two biggest games, I'm holding against him for getting an Achilles tendon injury. Um, <laughs> 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 Banucci and Maguire, and my and my centre back pairing. And I've gone with Mailer at right back, even though he played the entire tournament at left back.
0: You squeezed him in. I, I knew you were going to do something like this to try and, well, to try and nick I had him to, in.
2: because, like, he was so good. And if it wasn't him, I had to put Kyle Walker in. And I thought Kyle Walker was good. But I think Mailer had a better tournament. Okay. And so I, and I think, well, he, he's right-footed. He plays on the right side quite often in his for his club team. Like, he can play there. If you had to play him there, you can play him there quite easily. So he's got the nod at right back. In midfield. I've gone Jorginho Pogba Pedri what a mix that three are Jorginho combo in it Jorginho has got to be the most disrespected player in world football and the amount of people that write him off every single week even Chelsea fans saying can't believe Jorginho's starting the final (laughs) really um
0: it. he's one of he's one of only 10 players now who've won oh 11 because Emerson as well but 11 players who've won the European Cup and the European Championship in the same year certainly. yeah
2: I mean can you imagine what that feels like for an average player as well apparently <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> in, in
0: inverted commas yeah
2: exactly um yeah please get the sarcasm on that people um yeah Pogba I, I thought he had a great tournament and you know it, it was he's the he was the player again that Man United fans want to see regularly and you just watch him I just hope Solskja, was watching and just realizes like just do a case study of Pogba at the tournament and how France utilized him. That's what United need to do if they want to get the best out of him and want him to stay. And then Pedri, Pedri's Pedri's best young player at the tournament. He's had an unbelievable year. And of course he's in there. And up top, my three is Chiesa, Lukaku and Raheem Sterling. Um, raz of course he's in there like he yeah. was definitely a contender for player of the tournament and if he'd have had a moment in that final then he'd have probably got it yeah i think that's um, fair enough um he was the one player with england player with real thrust and always looked to make something happen and i loved it even more that you know, people again is another player that people don't seem to rate people genuinely don't oh he's got a rubbish touch he, he runs into earlier. people it's like oh my god what are you talking about um so yeah he's in because he's brilliant um Chiesa just came up with those moments that Italy needed at the right times and for a player that obviously got his big transfer a year ago to Juve you know an in and out season there were some amazing moments some games where you th- Can see he's still finding his feet
0: also Juve didn't win the title right that's a that's a bad year for Juve. full stop it doesn't matter how you frame it it's a bad year for Juve to join and be part of a year where they didn't win it is not a great time to join but i think he showed quite why they've spent the money right yeah he's absolutely justified yeah he's uh, gone up
2: about 20 million on the back of this tournament because yeah is the
0: one who you picked and none of samurai did
2: well, he was the best number nine at the tournament. And that's why I've picked him. Um, Harry Kane had a decent tournament, but wasn't himself, I would say. Yeah. Lukaku was. Lukaku gave everything I expected Lukaku to give. And I think he's the only proper number nine. I know people say, all oh, about Ronaldo. I was like, I don't really count Ronaldo as that. And also, he also,
0: Ronaldo played for a Portugal side who won one game. And it was against hungary right like it's tough to put him in three of the five goals are from the spot yes two of them are crucial penalties sure yeah but it's still just three penalties and 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 one win and all of those goals come in the group stages i'm not sure you can justify it
2: no i totally agree and i just thought he looked supremely confident he genuinely believes he's the best striker in the world right now. He's trying his best to prove it. He's doing a very good job of it. Um, I'd never had much faith in Belgium, you know, going through to the final and fulfilling the tag that everybody had put on them and the golden generation and all the rest of it. Because I think they've got the same, kind of the same pressure as England have always had in that sense. But Lukaku was the one that just kept on delivering. And like in, that, in that game that they lost, there was a couple of chances that, kind of just pass him by but I don't think it's his fault I really don't I think it's literally they are just the fine margins that define games at that level and I'm not going to not going to hold Zola that off him. the
0: line with the most impressive block exactly you ever like seen.
2: if you're criticizing Lukaku it was on target he somehow managed it to steer it back on target and spin it Zola the exact reason he was also on course to be the player's tournament manages to make a, a block that pretty much no one else would have so yeah Lukaku is just in there because the, I think he's the best number nine at the tournament
0: fair play fair play um it's it's a good team I think I think of all the three yours is probably the one that's got the most love on social media so far so no, really? um, if okay. you want to see all three of our teams next to each other uh then it's on our Twitter and our Instagrams so head over there all right thank you DJ um that is pretty much all we have time for on today's episode of ranks FC thank you so much for listening uh, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Sam Tai. cheers mate thank you very much Dean Jones cheers mate I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week as we start to refocus our attentions on the upcoming domestic and club seasons. We'll see you very shortly, Ranks squad. Thank you for listening. Peace.